gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the globe. Tonight we deal with a couple of things, our continued series, the Colorado case of the Pillar, of the pillar 4, we're bringing in tonight the IRP5 and the injustice that has been suffered here. Probable cause, what does that mean? It's a joke in today's system. We uncover it, we roll it back. This is AJC Radio. It takes off right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Clinton Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and Tanique Wright, along with the rest of 
the research team here at AJC Radio. We welcome you tonight to this show. And I'll tell you what right now, if you think justice is far away, I can assure you tonight you're going to learn more about a system that is plagued with lies and dishonesty as you have never seen it before. Tonight, addressing probable cause, which is the thing that gives people an opportunity to go to a judge and say, Judge, we believe these things happen. The problem in the Pillar 4 case and the IRP 5, the story was never told prior to charges being brought on both of these two groups of people. The Pillar 4, as you know, were four men who Judge, uh, uh, Chief Judge Bain called pillars of the community. Pillars, people that make a difference, that help, that do things to support local communities. How do these people get caught up in a conspiracy, not by the Pillar 4, but by the Colorado, excuse me, Colorado Springs Police Department, Detective Corrado, Judge Christine, Christine Arguello, a federal judge, chiming in on a state case and pushing the buttons of Judge Eric Aaron Stokel, who was forced to recuse herself as a result of her conduct uh, in the case of the Pillar 4. This gets more and more interesting as we go. It becomes a major issue. It is our job to expose the corruption, the blatant corruption, not only by these folks I've already named, District Attorney Allen, who was voted in by the people in El Paso County, uh, decided to turn and look the other way in regards to what was going on regarding the Pillar 4 in their case. Uh, we have cowards. We have bullies, if you will, that want to intimidate those who are not really familiar with the system. Uh, we got news for you. We're not going to be bullied, period. It is our job as advocates to speak the truth. That's exactly what we're going to do and let the American people know uh, exactly what that truth is. Tanik, your thoughts as we go forward. Um, I was just reading something online that says that 54% of cases, the defendants are victimized by official misconduct or prosecution misconduct. So that means that basically if you are arrested or accused of a crime, you just flip a coin. Because 54% of the cases, you could be wrongfully convicted something you didn't do because of a bad judge, a bad police officer, a bad prosecutor. Those are horrible stats. Very horrible. And it's our job, again, to speak to those. Dennis, your thoughts? I agree. Uh, it's just that, you know, when, when, when another judge uh, calls these individuals pillars and you think about that and you, you're like, wow, how can, how can judges that should be judging by the same merit want to get it wrong? So it just shows you that the, the system is corrupt. There's, you know, judges have too much power, some of them. And then you, you know, you, either it's good, either it's right, or it's wrong. And with, in this case, they got it wrong. Kendrick, your thoughts? I just think this is, uh, this is becoming a trend that's becoming too common in America. And it's, it's sad that it's hit our community three different times this close. I mean, in my lifetime, I would have never expected to know, what, seven, eight people that have been wrongly convicted of a crime. And that, that statistic is, is very, like, like troubling because you can't, you can't tell me that in, in a time when you would grow up and you would probably never even interact with a police officer, police officer besides a speeding ticket, that 
uh, as things get worse, you're seeing police killings, you're seeing uh, exonerations of people spent 20 plus years in prison. And then in your own life, you're having to deal with a legal system that's affecting too close to home. People that I know personally, people here that at this table, we all know personally, it, it's, it's becoming a, uh, a very telling or shall I say like a litmus test of how this country's headed in the wrong direction to the justice system. No, without question. We're going to get into all of this, folks, uh, here shortly today. We're going to, you know, turn the page. Uh, we'd love to have your comments as we get into this discussion. And the community, the problem is people are not outraged because they, send, they tend to accept that this is just the way it is. It's not the way it is. It's not the way we accept it. We don't accept it. There has to be something done when crooked cops like Detective Corrado – it's a crooked cop. Nobody wants to say that, well, maybe he's having some challenges. He is a crooked, corrupt cop. And, and because he didn't shoot anybody does not make him any less corrupt or, or crooked. Exactly right. Because if you look at if, – if cops are getting away with police shooting, how much more are they getting away with just I'm going to charge someone because maybe I don't like you today or whatever the problem is, and they end up with a criminal record because of someone's bias against uh, someone in the community? No, exactly right. We're going to get into all that. Folks, feel free to dial in tonight, 646-200-0628, Before we go to that, David, your thoughts as we get ready to, to go on this, down this road, at least on this show. Well, I really want, uh, as we go down here, we got to continue to expose the system. Um, stop with all the 99% of police officers and judges and prosecutors are good people. First of all, that can't be proven. Uh, we're dealing with a, just, with a so-called justice system that's based solely on assumptions. Even when you bring evidence, they, uh, they want to maintain the finality of wrongful conviction. The system is sick. It's been sick a long time. Uh, and people just uh, give judges, prosecutors, and police the benefit of the doubt. Well, they're human like everybody else. Let's look at the facts and the stuff they do and quit excusing their behavior. Uh, and, and you'll find more, more often than not that... Uh, People, I'm sorry, the system is rigged. These are men. I don't, let, I don't care what it says in the Constitution. I don't care what the law says on, on the books. When you have crooked, corrupt officials uh, uh, subverting the law and doing all sorts of manipulations of the law, that's not what the system was designed to, designed to do. These men, it is a system run by men, and, and as such, uh, we have a lot of corruption in the system, and it's turned into a complete crony system. Without question, spiraling out of control at a very fast rate, and lives are being affected. People are dying behind the choices and the decisions by judges that sit on the bench. Uh, we're going to take a look at it. We will expose it. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. 
Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You gotta find that link with somebody 
It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bumps every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. A Bard police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Let me tell you who to blame. Blame the boy lying at your feet, his body oozing life through the hole in his stomach where the bullet tore him apart. Blame him for challenging you, for not looking away and for not backing down when you pulled out the gun. Blame your mother for bringing you into this world when she was but a kid herself and for dragging you up, not bringing you up. Blame society for not giving you hope. Blame your father for not being there. The man who looked after himself instead of looking after you. Blame the gun in your hand for making you a target, for making you more likely to be picked off. Blame the dead boy, blame your mother, blame society, blame your father, blame the gun. Blame anyone but yourself for not being strong enough to put down the gun, to break the cycle. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we again travel down, unfortunately, a very familiar road in the system of this country dealing with what was once called the criminal justice system. We call it now the system 
because there's no justice in this existing system. It does not exist. This is a reality that um, the American people must come to grips with, that the system is not as it portrays itself to be. As you watch shows like Law and Order, uh, the old classics, Matlock, uh, Perry Mason, these shows are not the reality. The reality is, is that Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has become a target of assault by the criminal justice system of this community in El Paso County. Uh, and we're going to deal with that tonight. The district attorney, elected district attorney, Allen, uh, is someone who hides behind the wall of justice. He is the one that has the ability and the power to dismiss cases that have no merit. The case of the Pillar 4, there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever to support an, a charge of any kind, a criminal charge of any kind. The terminology used by D.A. Allen is that probable cause was alive in this case which is why the case was brought forth. Probable cause is reasonable ground for a belief, as in a criminal case, that the accused was guilty of a crime. Let me explain one thing that doesn't make sense about that statement. The presumption of innocence is with any defendant who is charged or accused. So how do you say probable cause is reasonable ground for a belief, as in a criminal case, that the accused was guilty. How does that fit without the presumption of innocence? It's a contradiction. It doesn't make any sense. Samson. Yes, yeah, so I was looking at that too, and it says probable cause has to go beyond mere suspicion, but it doesn't have to include any facts. And the fact of the matter is, is we talked about it before, the discretion of the people that are on the scene, the discretion of, you know, uh, the cops that are there or the district attorney or anyone else, they can, that's where the line draws is, their discretion of is there probable cause the fact of the matter is is like if you're darker than the officer on the scene you might have probable cause right there oh my god this person doesn't look like me they must be guilty of a crime they must be committed something i mean we've seen too many stories Mont here on i mean that we report on time and time again a guy gets shot riding his bike because he gets mistaken for another black man are you kidding me but it's probable cause because he's black while riding a bike we make the statement here Likely to occur, prove true. Probably this is probable. Likely to occur, prove true. Having more evidence for than against, or evidence that inclines the mind to belief, but leaves some room for doubt, affording a ground for belief. Well, go one, ahead. One thing you want to keep be aware: Samson talked about uh, probable cause and uh, likely. Now. And absent any facts. Well, no, you're, they start, when police officers show up on the scene, they start to gather preliminary facts. If facts hit you in the face, uh, it, it will all but extinguish any probable cause that you have to arrest somebody. And, and for the record, um, uh, I want to clarify that the district attorney we're talking about is El Paso County, Colorado District Attorney Michael Allen. Uh, we want to make, make uh, that clear. Uh, and... Uh, the case of the Pillar 4 was uh, four gentlemen who 
were prosecuted for going to pick up furniture at the behest of an occupant uh, on the lease that went there to pick up uh, church furniture that the police had uh, receipts for, that the church owned the property and they leased the apartment. They went on their behalf of the church and retrieved the property, called the police when, it, when, the, when, the, when the gentleman residing there pulled a gun, and then they get arrested and charged. Those, those, are, those are, the, are the facts. And so we have to be uh, keenly aware that, uh, just like Samson said, the devil is always in, in the discretion, not in the details, always in the discretion. That, that discretion is abused on a routine basis at every level of the criminal justice system. And then it's excused away, as it was excused away for the detective in this case, excused away for the prosecutor in this case, and it's excused away by the judge in this case. Well, they have broad discretion. That broad discretion is, is as, uh, uh, as, as bad as things you can get in the criminal justice system with no accountability for these people who exercise uh, uh, unsound discretion. Well, here's what they go further to say. Uh, the definition I have is cause. What is cause? Good or sufficient reason. It didn't apply in this case. Good or, good or sufficient reason because what, what happened here is that Nick Gaynor created a theory, a production, if you will, of what the facts were. The entire argument for Mr. Gaynor is that he was assaulted. That was his entire thing. I was assaulted and attacked. But not one charge of assault was ever brought against these guys. So that why, that so raises why, questions. So why would they believe the rest of the story if he's lying about being assaulted? Exactly right doesn't make any sense and it says here it's a ground of legal action the matter over which a person goes to law a case for judicial decision that was not in this case because nothing occurred but most egregious to detective Corrado he never asked one question what happened to the Colorado Springs Fellowship leadership there not one question no answer that he wanted. He didn't want to hear an answer from Colorado Springs Fellowship Church or Pastor Banks. You know what? It would have proved true on the history of the things that took place in this case. It would have proved true about the outreach that has beyond, which we'll get into later in the show, the outreach in the community at Colorado Springs Fellowship and Pastor Rose Banks have done is monumental. It stands on its own merit. Why then would the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church suddenly veer and say, we want to do something different. We want to do something illegal. Doesn't make any sense. Well, in Lamont, to David's point, you know, when he says as soon as the cops get on the scene, they're supposed to start gathering facts. It then tra it has to legally or is supposed to legally transition from their probable cause to what they call reasonable suspicion. It says reasonable suspicion, re it requires facts or circumstances that give rise to more than bare imaginary or purely conjectural suspicion you have to prove it the fact of the matter is the only thing that man could prove is that he had about an inch and a half scratch on his arm but he claimed to be beat down for 45 minutes by nine grown men are you kidding me on that on that case that that should have been something that immediately again had they come to the other side to ask questions but really they didn't have to come to the other side because they gathered those facts uh that they had they had Corrado weeks later charged these, these men with a crime. In his possession, he had proof that it was a church property, 
proof, proof that Yolanda Walker was an occupant on the lease and sent them there to retrieve that church property, and that Nick was a temporary resident in a corporate in a corporate church apartment, uh, corporate apartment leased by the church. He had all of those facts. They ignored it. And on top of that, it was the Colorado, the men from the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church that called the police. Criminals don't call the police. All that, all that stuff extinguishes any sort of affirmative uh, uh, finding of probable cause. Whose statements did they get while they were there? I mean, did they take any statements from the Pillar 4? I mean, when the, when the cops were on the scene? Well, well, the police, uh, all they did was make them leave. It was Detective Corrado who came to, came the corrupt guy. They said there was no forced entry. For guys that they say came to burglarize the place, nobody kicked in the place. <coughs> Excuse me. They said there was there was wit, there was uh, tampering with the lock. Well, the locksmith was sent there by the church to change the lock on an apartment. Ultimately, uh, the off the apartment manager testified, "That's fine as long as she gives us a key to the new lock." Uh, exactly so, right. So everything there is absolutely nothing. To, to raise any yeah. sort of reasonable but, suspicion or probable cause. But the tampering wasn't to gain entry into the apartment. I mean, because that doesn't make sense. You tamper with the lock because you're trying to gain illegal entry. So if a person lets me in, how then did I tamper with the lock? You but know, you didn't. Here, here's, you know, the, that's crazy. here's the case. You have a locksmith who, this is his business, came up to the door once the gentleman knocked on the door to approach and have a conversation with Mr. Gaynor, Mr. Gaynor opened the door and allowed the locksmith to change the locks. Nobody tampered with the, with the locks. A, a, a legal locksmith who does this for a living every day came and changed the locks. You opened the door not one time in that 20 minutes. Of changing that lot, did Mr. Gunn say, "Oh, stop! Or, or, this is my house. You can't do this." Or if that was my house, I'm calling the cops. Period. Well, I'm yeah. saying who's breaking in my house? You know what? You knew no one was breaking in. You knew what the rules of the church were. You knew what the conditions of the loving kindness program was. Therefore, how then does a jury sit back, knowing these are to be the facts, and Mr. Uh, uh, the locksmith rather? Was more than credible. Well, was more than credible. And that puts, I'm sorry, the jury system is is a joke. It's broken. That a jury, I don't care if you don't criticize jury. No, we're criticizing a jury. A jury can come in, hear these types of facts that that a guy was living in a corporate apartment, fully furnished. Uh, that all that evidence was presented at trial. They were fully furnished. All the receipts came from the church. The person testifying was the occupant on the lease. They heard from the apartment manager. They heard from Nick Gaynor talking about he got beat up for 45 minutes by nine men uh, and lived to tell about it. So at the end of the day, the, you have to question the jury, the jury system and the motivation of jury. Are they there just to support the prosecution? They're not li- listening to facts. Maybe in high-profile cases when everybody's looking at them, they might be seriously considering the facts. But uh, you, in your personal experience, uh, when, when your defense attorney asked how many people think this man is guilty or likely guilty because he's sitting here, every potential juror raised their hand. 
that's the condition of, of, well, of the justice system here in America. And I'll tell you right now, this is before not not one piece of evidence had been presented to this jury. But then the judge makes this statement in the case. Since the prosecution has the, uh, since they have the prestige of the office of the prosecution of the government, it is more likely that the jury will believe what the prosecution is saying because the prestige that comes with the office, this is what the judge says to the jurors. If that is said to a juror automatically, it is slated. It's messed up. Because in their mind, they're thinking, the judge said the prestige that comes with the office of the district attorney must be considered. This is coming out of the judge's mouth. Well, the judge knows what time it is. Starstruck. We, we, we look up the stars like there's like they're some, something beyond uh, just normal human beings. And that, that's what's wrong, wrong with the system. Absolutely right. William. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here listening. And the one thing about this, David says is true. I mean, this, this is corrupt. It's, it's ridiculous because we had, there was facts on the table. Corrado never even never touched it. And I, Demetrius and I were talking about this today. I said, you know what? The first time I ever met Corrado was actually in the courtroom. I said, how does that happen? That you never met the investigator? I never, I never, I never even. If he walked up to me, I would never even know who he was. We cooperated with him. We cooperated when we had to change, turn ourselves in. Everything we did was by the book. As far as as to David's point, this man said. Nine men beat him up for 45 minutes. The question was posed to him in the courtroom, or, or, or someone had made the statement in the courtroom, said, is it, did you not call the police? It's amazing that you didn't call the police. We called the police. And when you think about it, none of this, none of this stuff was, was credible. But the thing that really stood out to me as we're talking, the judge allows the prosecution to steer the court case in the direction they want so most of the comments that were made by the prosecution was towards this this alleged assault. Well, which should have never been allowed by That's the judge exactly because right. that wasn't the charges. That had nothing to do with the charges that the pillar four were facing. And see, That's the corruption of it. That And see, and even, even when I, I made my statement to the judge, I said we were charged with burglary. I said burglary, I read him the definition, or at least what I could remember, which was the illegal entry – with the intent to commit crime. There's nothing about, about what we did was illegal. We had permission to go. It was a corporate-owned, as David laid out, corporate-owned or church-rented property. We were asked to go move furniture. And then when the guys got to the door, they were allowed to come in. There's nothing illegal about none of that. Nothing. No, and that's, right. on, that's on the record. No, it's on the record, Demetrius. And, and to David's and Will's point, what really I, I get so tired of the term in light favorable as you of the government. This judge, in this case with the Pillar 4, is laying out the groundwork to say, I need a win for the prosecution. It's, un, it's almost uh, the, the term underlined. They, they make these broad statements, as you said, that to, uh, you can't do this. and. All the government is wanting from, from the judge, the judge just wants to steer, like you said, steer the jury. And a lot, like David's 
says we see a lot of jurors that are just not able to make a simple decision on truth. They just want they ignore facts, they ignore all this stuff. Why? Because some of them are afraid of the the judge. Some of them, the judge tells them in our case, you don't uh, don't uh, come back with a hung jury. So now you have this fear with these jurors don't even want to make the decision on the the truth or the lack thereof to say these people are not guilty. But well, but what you said, they like Grumman said, they went with the prestige of the right. office, the office. If I hear that as a juror in a courtroom, I'm leaning toward the prosecution. So in the case that David alluded to was a case where I was wrongfully convicted in this state, went to trial. We're selecting the jury out of 60 potential jurors. I simply have walked into the courtroom and sat at the defense table. That's it. Nobody knows me. They don't know who I am, what I'm about. We haven't even selected you to hear any type of evidence. The judge makes the statement. My, my attorney, rather, says, how many people here believe Mr. Banks is guilty right now? Stand up. Not one person sat down. Not one. So you call this the greatest system when you haven't heard one piece of evidence, and I am black. Very well put together. I'm in a suit. I don't look like a criminal. Not. But we believe you to be that before you ever go forward with this case. That is how jurors show up in in jury rooms for deliberation with a belief that they have established. Egged on by the corruption of the judge and the prosecution and this system. They, they lay the groundwork. That's what they do. Lay the groundwork of guilt. That is the very reason the Pillar 4 suffered injustice. The RP 5 suffered injustice because they were guilty before they ever opened their briefcase. Right. According to this system. That is a disgrace. Somebody should be outraged about it. The families of the Pillar 4 suffered greatly. The families of the RP5 suffered greatly. Lawana Banks Clark, who is no longer with us, suffered greatly at the hand of this system. And you expect us to remain silent. I have news for you. Judge Aaron Sokol is a disgrace to the bench in which she sits on. Period. Judge Christine Arguello is a disgrace to the system. You know how the system got bad? Look up these two women. Judge Arguello ran, pushed the buttons of Judge Aaron Sokol of her own free will to try to deliberately affect this case of the Philip She is driven with an obsession against Pastor Rose Banks, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, the RP5, and the Pillar 4. Anything associated with the church, she is an obsessed individual that needs help. But that you don't belong on the bench. It's a sickness that you cannot describe. We're going to take a quick break. Feel free to dial in, folks, to this show, 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. We pull the mask off of a system called incorrupt when they are very corrupt in what they have done. We're just getting started. This is AJC Radio. 
here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for a murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything his family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they've suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Foreman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. So most people don't understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect bod, but to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. 
Now, healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration, historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioral problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. 
we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they have committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. Martin Luther King speaking about the injustice that was happening during his time. Little did he know of what lies ahead and what was ahead for this country, and we're at the same place, if not worse, in the justice system right now. That is something that needs to definitely uh, be looked at. So the words of Dr. King said, look, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. He says, be true to what we know and what you say on paper. We have a lot of paper out here that says we have a good system, but in reality, we do not. As we've been talking about the Pillar 4 uh, and the IRP5, and we're going to get more into this probable cause stuff. Uh, but I believe we have a caller, Pastor Rose Banks, is on the line. Are you with us, Pastor? Yes, I am. Go ahead, please. Yes, I am. I am appalled by all the stuff that we've looked at and seen through this process. Um, I I remember teaching my children when they were young that we had a good system. Uh, All they had to do was respect God and respect the laws of this country, which at a later time in my life I found out 
of respecting the laws in this country was a joke. Should have never told my kids that. And then I'm looking at this situation here with uh, with the four pillars and the IRP five. Uh, I'm looking at some of the same crooked, corrupt stuff that took place with the IRP five. Th- th- these people. I'm telling you, they shouldn't even be in office to do anything. But I don't know, if you clean the office out, there wouldn't be anybody there. But when I think about all the stuff they did to the RP 5 and we're seeing a repeat of the same thing with the four pillars in our community. And they told the juror, I don't believe in jurors at all, because you don't know when they're racist. You don't know when they've been bought out behind closed doors. You don't know what's going on, but through the IRP-5, they told the jurors in the courtroom that they could talk to anybody when that trial was over. You're free to talk to anyone. Why is it that you went behind our back and told the jurors that if we call for information, don't talk to us, except you had something to hide, some lie that you told these jurors and told them don't talk to us? When we, when we first called the jurors to talk to them, they were afraid of us. And, and what they were saying was that we were told not to talk to you. And one of the men from our church who, who actually talked to them said that, but they told you you can talk to anyone. But they said in that, in that back room, they were told, don't you talk, don't talk to them. If they call you, let us know. And if they don't go, go away, We'll send the FBI out there to put a stop to it. Why do the FBI have to be sent to us? Because we're asking questions. Unless you had some dirt and filth to be hid somewhere and you didn't want us to know about it. And one juror says, no, I can't, I can't talk to you. They told us not to. And if, you, if anybody called us, we're supposed to call, call the court, and they will send FBIs to us. Now, we've broken no record. We ask a question. But you're going to send the FBI to us to tell us to shut up. This system stinks to the lowest hell. I've never seen nothing like it in my entire life. And to sit in this country and believe that they're going to believe you and they're looking for truth, it's a lie. They're not looking for truth. They're looking for some kind of way they can put you in a bad situation and where they think the, uh, their power they have uh, is about abusing people, not about getting to the truth. They don't want the truth. They want lies. And when I, when I think back on that, I think what they did to the IRP-5 and the jurors wouldn't talk to us, were scared to talk to us. Then she threatened the jury if you didn't, if you come back with a hung jury, and you don't give, and this is that 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 judge Arguello, she should never ever have been a judge. And she tells them if you come back with any anything other than than a guilty plea, or if you have a hung jury, you're going to end up paying for this trial. Now, any any person that don't really know the system well, you're talking about sometimes millions of dollars they're threatening you with that you're going to have to pay. How do you expect to get a real a real true verdict from these people? These people are scared to death. Now, what makes me really angry is that Judge Aguayo has been 
bad mouth in Colorado Springs Fellowship Church for years, and I am tired of her. She has continued to do this. Then she pulls it over after our guys spent eight years of their life in prison, and they finally got out. She took away eight years of their life based upon lies. She knew as well as all the rest of us. You know what I'm asking? I'm asking the question. When, when, we, when we studied about the judges and how they got all these different, uh, uh, I don't know, organizations or whatever they may call them, they get they can get a uh, uh, somebody can literally give them money toward their organization. That's that's hush money. That's money yes. to do what we want you to do. Now we knew without a doubt that the corporations, large corporations, was the ones that wanted our guys put out because they didn't have the what our guys had. And Homeland Security had already warned them that this would happen. And she was behind the scenes putting our men in prison. For whatever amount of money she was given to do it, I'm telling the, I'm saying this because a lot of people need to find out what this system is all about, and it's about a bunch of lies and crooked and corrupt stuff going on when them doors are closed, and you and I are not privy to that information. Right. On top of that, they do they do the four pillars the same way, and and here the here the here the jury list which is automatically supposed to be given to us after after that trial. She hid it and wouldn't give it to us. Why are you hiding jury names? Because it untold those juries on some of the same stuff, don't talk to us. When when a just cause tried to reach them, they wouldn't return a call. They wouldn't talk to us. Somewhere behind the scene when that door is closed, it's when this garbage is going on. I mean, it is uncomprehendable. That you could say we got the best system in the world. We don't have a system. And whatever they put in place and call the system is corrupt so bad you couldn't get a, a right a right a verdict out of there if you tried. And then I I am very upset that that Judge Arguello now gets down here and gets in touch with this crooked policeman who's running around here telling lies. I cannot believe that man. He actually went to the to the to the people who was accusing us, and tell them how to steal our furniture. A police officer, and you talk yes. about we got to respect our police. If we want to respect them, you respect us then, because if you if you gonna have respect, you earn that. But when you sit in an apartment with two lying crooks that this church had reached out to and furnished an apartment and paid paid for them to live there and so we could compensate them, pull them out of a nasty, filthy apartment that had a black mold growing in there. They slept on the floor. You cannot believe that people that you reached out to, to this degree, would come back and tell lies about you. And sitting there with that crooked cop, and he's telling them all these lies, and he's telling them how they can steal our furniture. This is the stuff they don't let get out. And that's so right. that's the thing that eats, that eats at me. You are, you're not going to know cop was behind the scenes. And you know what? This crap, what they're talking about, I kept saying, well, why didn't the cop come and ask the church what was our position? They didn't ask our church. You know why? Because we're going to make this thing stick with you. We don't want to know your opinion, or we don't want to hear what you got to say. We're not going to do it. And now, at the, at the end of the day, uh, they're going to go forward with this thing, 
Never asking the church anything. It's common sense. If somebody's accusing somebody of something, you have every right to go to the next people who, who, who they're accusing. But instead, you just leave it the way it is and sit in her house and tell her how to steal it. This stuff is not hearsay. This is a matter of record. It's a matter. If you get the transcript, and I know they're going to allow you to get that. If you get the transcript, it shows where this cop is sitting in her house telling her how to steal our furniture from us. You, if anybody ought to go to jail, that cop should be in jail. If anybody's Absolutely. going, you're supposed to be here to protect the people, but you're over here telling lies one after another. And, and they come into a courtroom with that crooked DA that was there, and they making eyes at each other, connecting that we, this is the way, hey, we, we got it going. And, and you know what? After we sent our complaint in to tell our side of the story, that DA said to the cop, it's all a matter of record. She said, I'm not going to even open what they got in here. I'm not going to even read it. I'm not doing nothing with it. And they amended it to go forward. They knew they didn't have a case. They knew that. And they continued to pursue our people. And this well. Somewhere down the line, God's got to judge this woman for the dirty things she has done and putting people's lives in a place where you don't have any control over your own life and, and you allow lies to be said in the courtroom. Don't believe this garbage. When I kept saying, why, why haven't they asked, asked us what, what happened? We're the ones being accused. Why haven't they asked us? No, but they wouldn't ask us. So my thing was, okay. You know why they won't, they, if they tell you this, anybody listening to this show, if they tell you that you'll have your day in court, that is the biggest lie ever told. You get to the court, they won't even let your evidence in. They've done the same thing with our P5. And they come again and do it to our church members trying to portray us as a church with criminals, which is a rotten, dirty lie. And now you sit up there and you're going to say uh, you have your day in court. Every time they try to tell their side, I'm not going to allow that in. I'm not going to let the jury hear that. I'm not, well, if you, don't, if you withhold information that's evidence from the jurors, how in the world can they get a proper verdict if you hold truth from them? So if I'm going to conceal what the truth is, how can you expect to be uh, a, a fair a fair verdict is coming your way. How can you expect that? This system sucks so bad. To, it, 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 it is a shame and a disgrace. And then to try to portray us to the other part of the world that we got this perfect system is the biggest, phoniest thing on the planet. Unless you become a victim of this system, you will never know the filth and the dirt that go on behind that wall. And I am telling you, if God wasn't with us, and helping us. And and our attorney told asked them, why don't you dismiss this case? You don't have anything that supports it. She said, We're not we're not gonna uh uh get rid of anything because you know what? We're gonna find you guilty because we're gonna take care of the we're gonna take care of those jurors behind the wall. You're not gonna win it anyway, and your evidence you wanna bring in, we're not gonna even let the jury hear it or see it. That is, you're talking about the uh, 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 unfair trial. You yes. It's the most egregious crap I think I've ever seen. And I, well, I think, think what, 
It's time for the voices to be out here and said, look, this is what it's about. We talk from experience. Nobody's telling us nothing. We we went through it twice. And they steady try to try to discredit our church. Colorado Springs Fellowship is one of the best churches in this community, and the outreach program outweighs everybody. And you tell me we're going to get labeled like we're these bad people. We are not. And as long as we do what's right and serve God, he's going to let truth be known. And we are going to speak out against this system that is doing more to destroy people's lives. It's not doing anything. That's why the prisons are running over from situations just like this. Give people and, uh, a chance to speak. Give, give them a chance to, so, I mean, to show that. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm very... I'm very much upset with the way they treat a church. How do you come to a church and try to, when you try to destroy a church, our right to have a, a religious belief, and you're trying to make us look bad when we're not? That is as corrupt as it gets. I got a problem with that. I'm signing off. Well, thank you, Pastor Rose, for your comments here. Uh, we'll take a quick break, folks. We'll be right back. Uh, feel free to dial in at 646-200-0628. We're going to actually talk about uh, the points that Pastor Rose just made. Uh, not only being affected, as she has as a pastor, over a congregation and to have to deal with such actions, uh, with the system in which she promotes in her daily living and to her parishioners to live in a, a good life, obeying the law of the land, doing the things that are, are expected of human beings to only get really kicked in the ribs as a result of pushing a respectful way of dealing with law enforcement. We're going to deal with that. All the points she just made, we're going to deal with that as well. Feel free to dial in, folks, 646-200-0628. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause, and we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. What's up, y'all? It's your boy Kevin on stage, and I'm afraid I'll be killed by police. Not all police, just one police officer who fears first life and thinks I have a gun. 
I'm afraid I'll match the description of someone who called 911. The police will arrive, and before I know it, I'll be dead. Not all cops are bad, but for me, all it takes is one who is afraid for his life, and that leaves me dead. He could have had a pristine record up until that, but if he's afraid that day, that means it's the end for me. He could have been a bad cop his whole entire career and not be afraid. That means the end for me. I used to think this wouldn't happen to me because I'm a law-abiding citizen. I won't ever be doing anything or be anywhere I shouldn't be. I'll comply with officers. But that doesn't always seem to be the case. Here's some examples of what Black people were doing when they were killed by police. Selling CDs outside of a supermarket. Selling cigarettes outside of a corner store. Walking home with a friend. Missing a front license plate. Riding a commuter train. Holding a fake gun in a park in Ohio. Holding a fake gun in a Walmart in Ohio. Holding a fake gun in Virginia. Calling for help after a car accident, driving with a broken brake light, failing to signal a lane change, walking away from police, walking toward police, running to the bathroom in your apartment building, walking up the stairwell of your apartment building, sitting in your car before your bachelor party, holding your wallet, not wearing a seatbelt in police custody, attending a birthday party, laughing. The thing that makes me most afraid is I'll be afraid. I don't know what I'll do if a police officer has a gun pointed at me and is shouting instructions. I'm afraid I'll move too fast, too slow, not fast enough. I'll reach for something he asked me to reach for, and he'll think it's a gun. I'm afraid I won't be calm, and me not being calm could be the end of me. I'm afraid that I can die in front of my wife or children or both. I'm afraid my children will be somewhere without me and suffer the same fate. I'm afraid the police officer will be in plain clothing, so they won't even recognize that this is a police officer, and they don't respect him and treat him like the authority he is because they don't know he is. And here's what's going to happen if I die. People will comment on a post about me, and here's what they'll say. If he would have just done this, he would be alive today. If he would have just done that, he'd be alive today. All you have to do is listen to police, and you'll be fine. If he would have just listened to the officer's orders, he'd be here today. If you care so much, why don't you care about what's happening in Chicago? What about black-on-black crime? Don't you care about that? The media will find the worst picture of me to use. And since I don't have any brushes with the law or mugshots, they'll find the most menacing or intimidating photo they can use. They won't use any of my wife or children or my family because that doesn't tell the story that they want to tell. Tammy Lauren will get on TV and tell them it was my fault, or Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh will get on the radio. Fox News will have a field day with me. They'll say, we don't have all the facts. The video doesn't clearly show. You don't know. What if he was? It looked like he was. You can't tell clearly. We can't see what's in his right hand or left hand. You don't know what the officers were feeling. The NRA won't protect me or protest my death, even if I say I'm a licensed gun owner and I tell the police officer that when he pulls me over. The video will be posted all over the internet in a matter of seconds, and whether or not you want to see it, you will see my dead body lying on the ground or a video of an officer shooting me or me dying live on Facebook. And then people will say it's not about race. We're all one people. All lives matter. And then... Life will go on. That's the scariest thing. After a while, life will go on. The officers may or may not get arrested. More than likely, they won't be convicted. More than likely, they won't even be indicted. And before you can totally mourn my death, it'll happen again. That's why I'm afraid. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we are dealing with tonight the issues of injustice in this system. Uh, as we go forward here, there's a couple things that need, that need to be made clear. That is that, as Pastor Rose just alluded to, there is not one good thing happening in this system. Not one thing. And until we come to grips with that, we have a problem. Dave Zappolo, go ahead. When you look at what's going on in this country, if we were a country looking at that, we as a country would be complaining. We'd be saying that there is corruption, that we have to do something about that government. We have to do something about that juror system. But we as a country, we're so bad that we just let it happen. Let it happen over and over again. Our juror system is a joke. People come in there knowing that they're just going to vote guilty because it's easier. They're not going to turn around and, and uh, let somebody go because they're afraid. Oh, if I let somebody go and I was wrong, it's going to come back on me. You look at our country as a whole. There's so much corruption in the criminal justice system. You hear about it every week on the news. You've got people that are being let out of prison after decades. Oh, no, the evidence was always there. They're hiding evidence. You have a situation where police will lie. You have situations where the prosecutor will lie. You have all of these situations where the corruption is so prevalent that we as a country, if it was in another country over in Africa, We'd be saying regime, regime change has to happen because the, the system is too corrupt. No, absolutely right. These are one of those things, folks, that we have to acknowledge. Number one, Colorado Springs Police Department, they want to portray themselves as if they are this pristine, clean uh, police department that does everything right. That's a lie. That's a complete lie. Uh, Detective Corrado has proven to be who he is, and he's a veteran on the force. He's been on the force, I believe, it was 14 years. He's a detective. Most detectives have been promoted from the, in the ranks to be detectives. How then do you promote a criminal? Detective Corrado is no more than a criminal. That's what he is. Uh, a law firm up in Denver who I met with not too long ago for a just cause, uh, made this statement to me that the Colorado Springs Police Department is one of, if not the worst police department they have ever encountered and had to deal with when it comes to integrity or doing the right thing. Uh, make no mistake about it, this law firm knows exactly what they're talking about because they are that good. Um, there's in, there's in, in initial investigation still happening. Uh, which I cannot go into the name of that firm, but there's a lot that they had to say. Uh, the Colorado Springs Police Department continues to portray this image of integrity. They have no integrity. They have no integrity whatsoever. Uh, and I tell you what, it's going to be exposed again. It's going to be exposed. You can only do wrong for so long where people began to cry out. That is the job of the Just Cause of this organization. Others should be doing the same. I believe we have Pastor Rose again with another comment. Uh, Pastor Rose, are you with us? Yes, I am. 
Go ahead, please. I want to come back and say before I get accused of being a police hater, when I want to make this statement about what how we reached out and showed that we were not against police officers. It's unfortunate that that didn't matter to them. But when Eric Garner in New York was being killed by cops in the broad open daylight, uh, it was such an outcry in this country about cops killing black people. I took it upon myself to tell our church, let us reach out to our police department and our sheriff's department and let them know that we don't believe that all police officers are bad. And Colorado Springs Fellowship is going to reach out to say to you that we support you and that we care. At that time, we decided to send to, to take breakfast and lunch to the police department for every police officer and the sheriff's department the same way, uh, showing that we cared. I got a call from the from the chief of police, uh, and he said, Rose, I needed to call you and tell you how the morale down here was so bad since this killing broke out in New York that what you helped our police officers do, the morale is higher than, than I've seen it in a long time. He said, I can't do that. I'm going to say thank you for what you've done and what Colorado Springs Fellowship has done. And then after that was done, I'm looking at the situation when this happened to us. I went to Sheriff Elder and said, Sheriff Elder, you see what they're saying? This stuff is not true. And he never spoke one time for us to support us, neither, neither police uh, chief either. They didn't, either one, have nothing to say for us when I went to him. But we reached out and said, we as a black African-American church, we want to say we support our good police officers. And look at what I got in return for it. It didn't even matter. He, didn't, he kept a, a closed mouth, the, uh, uh, the police chief the same way, never said a word. They came to our church when we had a, a less talk. And we talked about the police officers then and how we should support them and all this. So before somebody says she's a police hater, let me straighten you on that. That is not true. I don't hate anybody, but I despise people who take away people's rights in this country. And Martin Luther King saying when he's coming on, uh, I, I, are people going to get there? I don't think we're going to get there. I think until God, until Jesus comes back to this world, and bring it all to an end, I don't think it's ever going to end. I think since Martin Luther King died and gave his life, it's gotten worse. It didn't get better because if there was a lot of killing being done back then, but they kept it hid. Once the, once these cell phones had, had cameras on them, that's what starts uncovering what they were doing because your word meant nothing if a police officer said you did something. But now we got the cameras, thank God. And that's the only reason we're being even recognized now. But I just want to straighten that out because I can just hear somebody saying, well, she hates police, but no, I do not. And I proved that I didn't. So I turn it back to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Rose. Look, this is just, let me read this list of outreach that Colorado Springs Fellowship has done at the behest of Pastor Rose Banks uh, in this community, CSPD, which is what she just talked about. The fire department, Memorial Hospital, 
uh, AMR, nursing homes, yellow cabs, city metro stations, the homeless, students, teachers, schools, Comcorp, Florence Prison, uh, where Pastor Rose preached for years, uh, the YMCA, housekeepers, nurses, Salvation Army, military outreach, Thanksgiving outreach, Christmas outreach, and that is, that is just in part of what Colorado Springs Fellowship has done in the community for years. So as she said, nobody can accuse her or the church of not doing their best to let people know that, we, that the church cares, its parishioners care. Thus the attack uh, on, on, on these parishioners, the Pillar 4 uh, and the IRP 5, also shared in some of these things uh, and shared to this day. Uh, continue to pick up the mantle, if you will, and continue to reach out in this community. Uh, David, your thoughts on what Pastor Rose had to say? Well, it's it's uh, spot on. And unfortunately, people just kind of go on with their daily lives with this false belief that the system is 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 some pillar of righteousness and justice. When in fact it's not true, I'm reminded. I, I want to continue to tell people to read the Criminal Law 2.0 by Alex Kaczynski that he did in 2015. Uh, he was the chief judge for a while there at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and he debunked the myths of the criminal justice system. Prosecutors in the Justice Department were very upset with them. Now, based on his ex- his personal experience as a judge for many years. Uh, and data and research around wrongful convictions, this one of the areas he talked about, police are, are object. one of the myths he talked about, police are objective in their investigation. Now, he called, he called the, the objectivity, objectivity a bedrock assumption of the fairness of the criminal justice system. But he explained, quote, police have a unique opportunity to manufacture or destroy evidence, influence witnesses, extract confessions and otherwise direct the investigation so as to stack the deck against people they believe should be convicted, which has proven significant and wrongful conviction cases. This is a federal appeals judge uh, talking about one final note. He said, well, prosecutors play fair. Uh, He said wrongful conviction cases show that, that many prosecutors value winning a conviction over bringing true justice. This is a system. Pastor Rose talked about uh, what she's seen, what she's experienced, and what we all have collectively experienced. This is the system uh, affirmed by, by a, fed, uh, a federal appeals judge who took uh, some heat and criticism. Uh, so we really need to do deep introspection into this system and people and even to the jury system. Quit saying uh, respect jury verdicts. I'm sorry if the verdict is wrong uh, and all the facts come out that shows that were presented in court shows it was wrong, something is wrong with the jury system. That has to change, too. And it explains why many uh, industrialized nations have actually uh, gotten rid of the jury system because of all the problems with it. Well, again, the foundation laid with the jury is corrupt. Therefore, the outcome of a jury cannot be sanctioned as reality in many cases. Um, like David alluded to earlier, they may come back with a verdict uh, that they should have gotten right when it's blatantly, as the George Floyd case was, uh, 
That was a blatant. But what about the not so blatant situations and people dying that is not caught on a camera? That that cops are doing what they're doing. Um, those are issues that have to be dealt with. Luana Clark, um, who has since passed away uh, in 2018, suffered at the hand of this judge. Her corruption. She gives a starting statement of what she went through upon arriving at prison. Let's hear the clip. I was at home um, that evening. Uh, it was before, it was, was it after Christmas? Yeah, I think it was after Christmas. And um, and when I, op- I saw the letter that said, um, I saw the letter that had the Bureau, Bureau of Prisons on it, and uh, God, I didn't think I still was feeling it. And I just looked at it and held it in my hand, and I opened it, and it said to report March 1st. I didn't even want to tell my mother or I wanted to act like it didn't really happen. I was hoping never to see it. And when I did, uh, I had to tell my mom, I think I told her the next morning that mom, I got the letter to report. And and she just said, well, we're going to fight. You're not going to prison. But we're going to do what we have to do. And we did do what we had to do. But after all that, it still uh, came to naught because these people were determined to put me in prison. I remember when I first got there, uh, sitting in this room, waiting for the chaplain to come in after my brother and sister had dropped me off. And, and I sat there and I looked up to God and I said, I got to be strong. You got to help me to be strong because... I have to stand up the the way my mother taught me all my life. And this was a, it was a very difficult time. And and I I really feel like I only got through it because God was with me. To be out of church, to be away from friends and family, to be, I couldn't call them the first night. That, That bothered me really bad. It was, but I did, I saw so much wrong. It being in in that prison camp with these ladies and so many of them that shouldn't have been there, and I got to know so many so many ladies. I was I was very loved and respected while I was there. But I I just you see so much of the injustice. You see the the unfairness. You see the 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 abuse and the and the pressure that's put on these ladies. I mean it's just it's cruel things that you'd be thinking. Why would you do such a thing? Why would you get people up in the middle of the night and tell them that get outside in the yard and go, we got to look for look through this and look. And there was nothing they were looking for. It, it was all about, we just want, once you get here, we want to oppress you and, 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 and abuse you and mistreat you and try to take away any kind of dignity that you had, that you have at all. There you have it, the 
want to thank Clark. Tonight speaking of what she endured. Speaks to Pastor Rose the anguish of seeing her daughter who had no criminal record, no criminal history, served with her in the church, never broke the law. But we are to believe that the system got it right. We are to believe that that had to happen. The reality is it, it solidifies in stone what Pastor Rose has said, a system broken, a system that is out of control. There's no thought of what is that going to mean to this mother, to this brother, to this sister, to this father. And this Lawana Banks-Clark was one of many, but this is the trend that has started. But we are to believe this is the system that works. I have news for you. LaWanna Banks-Clark should have never been locked up one minute because she did nothing wrong. She's a casualty of this system. I believe ultimately costing her her life as a result of what she had seen. I believe we have Pastor Rose again with a comment. Are you with us? Yes, I got to speak in reference to my daughter, one who I I love dearly, that was taken from me because of them. Uh, Now, when my daughter brought evidence that she did not do anything of the charges that they were trying to charge her with, that for perjury, she never lied about anything. And when Kendrick, there was part of the IRP5, his attorney, he told his attorney, well, LaWanna Clark, she has proof that it's not true. And you know what he said? To, said he said, uh, it doesn't matter if she brings evidence of, of her innocence. She's going to get some jail time. This is not some hearsay or some exaggeration we're talking about here. We're talking about my daughter. Because the IRP-5 would not bow to a a plea deal. They came after my daughter because they knew our family was very close. Came after her and treated her like dirt. And all that stuff, and my heart was broken. When my daughter never had high blood pressure, ever. When they got through putting her up under all that pressure, she had high blood pressure. She ended up having a massive stroke as a result of the pressure they put on her that they should have never done. And there she's got the evidence to show that she did nothing wrong. And the lawyer said it doesn't matter whether she's got evidence. She's going to get some jail time. Uh, You said, boy, she's angry or upset. I am very angry about the things that have been done to our family, to our church members. I am very angry about that. But to do this to my daughter, who never had no type of record, just like the rest of our men did, didn't have, and then you're going to put her in prison for six months in a prison camp, and, and her evidence is right in front of her. And this same crooked judge, Arguello, said to my daughter, do you have anything to say, Ms. Clark? And you know what she said? 
Yeah, because I didn't do anything. You're going to prison. Good luck, Miss Clark. I've never seen such cold stuff in my whole life. Don't condemn us for standing up and saying something about it until you become a victim of the system. Then you'll understand how we feel. I think I'm done for tonight. Thank you, Pastor Rose, for that comment. Uh, Dave, when you hear Pastor Rose go into this, this becomes personal, very personal, because there's LaWanna Banks-Clark died from a ruptured clot in her brain. The ER folks said to us upon arrival, what was what was Miss Clark under any stress? Was she upset about something? What maybe something triggered this? I can tell you what triggered it. Her brother, one of the RP5, who was a host of this show, was behind the wall unjustly, wrongfully convicted, went and saw him every week. Dave, I'll let you speak to it. You see what happened here. <clears throat> it was a horrible, horrible miscarriage of justice. You see, this woman, even if she did what they said she did, most people don't go to jail for it. They get probation. But she did nothing. She did not lie. They brought in the evidence, and the judge wouldn't even see it. This judge is cruel. She's a horrible person, and she enjoyed putting that woman in prison. I was there the day she testified at the, um, at the grand jury, and I saw how much that wore on her the hours that she spent in that grand jury. And you see that they just kept coming and coming and coming. They were probably happy when they found out she passed away because that was their end game is let's get these people out of the way. And it's just, it's sickening to see what our system does to people in this country. Absolutely right. David. You really don't have words. Uh, Luana Clark, my sister, was dragged before a grand jury, answered 285 questions that she responded to. Government comes back, claims she lied on three of them. She goes to trial, uh, gets convicted of one. Now, who answers 285 questions and decides to answer and lie on three of them. If you were a crooked person, you would have been lying. And then when you when you found found, found out that uh, and bring proof, Judge Arguello under the law had they had the right and the option in the interest of justice. That's what the uh, the statute said. In the interest of justice. If a person brings this evidence forward of the innocence, the judge can. At her discretion. At her discretion, the devil's in the discretion again, overturned the uh, conviction in the interest of justice. She didn't do it. She is an evil, evil woman. And I, I, I don't say that about many people. George Arguello is pure evil. Because when you can know a person is innocent and you put them in prison, 
I just don't I just don't have words uh, to explain. I, I was one of the people who dropped off uh, dropped off my sister at the prison. I can tell you of of a, of a certainty uh, after my wrongful conviction that was ten times worse than me going to prison. That was the worst one of the worst days of my life was seeing my innocent sister go to prison at the hands of an evil prosecutor named Matthew Kirsch and an evil judge named Judge Arguello. I said, people, this is a system. We're, we're not just making this stuff up. We're not manufacturing. That's what they do. They manufacture evidence and, and, and facts and manipulate the system to destroy lives. This is what these people do. We're not making it up. We witnessed it firsthand. Uh, we're firsthand witnesses uh, to this sort of evil. No, absolutely right. And that is Federal Judge Christine Arguello of the Tenth Circuit uh, here in Colorado. Um, and continued her behavior with the pillar four. And to the point where Judge Aaron Sokol made arguments about things that were done in federal federal judge Christina Arguello's court that had no merit here. And against an attorney, uh, Gwen Lawson, uh, Bernie Kleiman, accused them of doing things in this case that were absolutely false. Absolutely false. William, your thoughts? Um, you know, it's just it's hard just listening to to Luana because that um, out of everything that I've experienced, you know, that was hard. That was really hard. That the evidence was right there that she didn't do it. And then for them say she's going to get jail time. That's a hard one to swallow. Even to this day. And you realize how cruel these people are. And they play games with people's lives. They don't care. They don't care what you're doing. They don't care about your family. They don't care about the repercussions of their decisions. And they realize it's a, it's a God complex. They play games with people's lives, and they like it. They like it. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm sitting here, and I guess I'm just speaking my own thoughts, and, but they like that. That's what this system is. It's, it's, it, in, it enables God complexes to build. I mean, because even when we talked at the first segment part of the show, we were talking, they allow these people to paint these pictures of us. They don't care who you are sitting on this. You're you're defending. You're sitting there fighting for freedom. They don't care. They don't care one bit about that. They have already laid the foundation and painted this picture of your guilt, and you have not said word one, nor has your attorney said word one. And you're sitting there with your evidence in hand. In every one of these cases, there was evidence in hand, not just one piece of evidence, multiple pieces of evidence. No, we're not going to allow that. We're not going to allow it. Well, look, the reason it wasn't allowed, and as David alluded to, the discretion. Any judge in any conviction has the power to say, I will set aside the verdict in the interest of justice. Because they have since looked and seen what they had seen. Tanik, your thoughts? When I heard Luana's voice, my heart broke. 
I just don't understand how people can be so cruel. How do you, and I don't even want to say judge, I'm just going to call her Christina, what is her name, Christina Arguello. How do you sleep at night? And the reality of the situation is what she did to the pillar, pillar had her partner and uh, messing with the, uh, the, the guy's case, the four pillars case, and then the IRP five, you wonder how many other people in her career has she done this to? How many other families have you ruined? How many other people have died because of stress that you put on them? And then you go and go to bed at night and roll over and go to sleep. This is the worst cruelty that I think I can even imagine that you, you have to be a very, like David said, evil person to do these type of things and to continue with your life as if nothing has happened. No, oh, absolutely right. Um, Demetrius. Um, to hear Luana's voice to see that this judge, this corrupt uh, U.S. Attorney, assistant U.S. attorney, using her as a ploy to get to us, it's very sickening and it's a sore evil I've never seen before in my life. But to Will's point, this Christine Arguello does have a God complex because she told us during our sentencing that your life, Mr. Harper, is in my hands. And I abruptly cut her off. I said, you are wrong, judge. My life is in God's hand. For her to even make that in open court, she, as, as Will said, this is not, these are people's lives. This is my life. These are my brother's lives. And she said and made it, wanted to be made known that I have control. She didn't have control of my life. But she wanted to make it abundantly clear by her actions, by her corruption, by her lies, but by being in cahoots with the uh, uh, assistant attorney uh, that they wanted to take our lives and get, send us away to prison because we write software for law enforcement. It just really sickens me to Will's point that she she really thinks that she has this godlike complex that she can do whatever and just be evil and treat people's lives like nothing. Well, look, the target had nothing to do with the RP5. You guys were used as pawns by this judge. This was a hate to Pastor Rose Banks at Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, in whom she never met. But she bought the lies of former parishioners who made a choice to go out the front door, ultimately granting a circus hearing of habeas. This was not about the IRP-5. This was about Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, a pillar of this community. Pastor Rose Banks, a pillar and voice of integrity, who was attacked by former parishioners for one reason. They didn't want to abide by church guidelines. The doors are locked. How does a judge allow this type of language in the court and in habeas and to opine on the religious practice of a religious institution Colorado Springs Fellowship and call Pastor Banks a non-Christian to comment on the Christian life that has been said and done 
This is beyond pure evil. Well, and to uh, to follow that up, when we talk about no accountability, the appellate court did nothing. They just allowed these judges. And when I say it's a crony system, it's a crony system. If you're looking for uh, some sort of vindication from the Court of Appeals, 9.9999 times out of 10, you're not going to get any sort of uh, uh, vindication of your innocence from the Court of Appeals. And and final note, and we were told that by, by a congressional lawyer in the U.S. Congress, he said appellate courts are there to uphold convictions. They're not there to, uh, 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 to turn over convictions. They're there to uphold uh, the lower court's uh, rulings and, and everything that happened uh, uh, during trial. Well, here's what's horrible, David, and to the RP5 here at this table. Uh, even the actions of the government of the United States infiltrating, going into bank accounts of members. Uh, members not at trial. The church wasn't on trial. They infiltrated and went in for, was it five years? Without yes. warrant. Without yes. a warrant. You go into the bank accounts of American citizens and to the church bank account of American citizens. Uh, how do you do that? Can you come in? No, I was just, I was just, you know, when you start, you can almost forget some of these things happen. Yes, because you're just trying to go on with your life. But if you, they, they have been harassing this church and church members since 2004. And to then come all the way up to another trial, and this judge is talking to a city judge about, judge, yep. yeah, it's it it it's like you're supposedly won, okay? You got your conviction, you got Lawana Clark in prison, you got the RE five in prison. And to your point, this wasn't about us. So now another incident happens, and you take time out of your busy day to come and opine into an unrelated case. You're a federal judge. Why do you care? Because you have some sick obsession with College Springs Fellowship Church and Sister Rose Banks for whatever reason that we will never know. To, and then when you brought up the habeas, things that I'm like, yes, yeah, there's the habeas. There's, there's the bank accounts. There's, she says in court, you know, you do have a right to privacy. Then when it looks like we're about to win that point, she changes her mind. Oh, no, you don't have a right to privacy. In bed. They can just go look at your bank accounts whenever they're ready. So it's, well, it's just ridiculous. And, and uh, Ken needs to talk about what happened with his bank account. What happened with yours, Ken? Well, actually, there was no subpoenas in our bank account. We actually called. So Dave Zappolo and myself bank at the same bank. So when Dave calls, they admit, no, we don't have a subpoena. But when I call back, just, I mean, minutes later, oh, I can't tell you how they – we can't tell you how they got that information. But answer this question for me. To any American citizen, if you come home one day and you find out the IRS, along with the Department of Justice, have, and the government of the United States, the, Attorney, the U.S. Attorney's Office, have come together as forces to go into your private account there's not an American citizen that sits on their couch tonight that would not be outraged. What are you doing in my account? And what are you doing in my account without a subpoena? Or a warrant. Or a warrant. You have nothing legally to be there, and there's no answer. We're going to do it because that's what we can do. 
that is totally out. In, I mean, I can't wrap my hands around that. But I tell you what, there's not a person in this country that would not be outraged. Tell you something about Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Above reproach. Above reproach. And that starts at the leadership down. Well, they went to the church's bank records also. They found nothing. And this is a nonprofit. And there are there are protocols. Yeah, there's different procedures and protocols to access a nonprofit's uh, account than just a normal citizen. And they have to. A bank has to before they give any information, contact that nonprofit organization and give them the opportunity to say what information do you want to give or not. But they did not. They did not. There was not one rule followed. This is not about the RP5 or the Pillar 4. This is an attack on a church that makes a difference. But what it shows you is what goes on behind the scenes. This, this sort of corruption and abuse is, is just routine. Uh, even down to uh, some of the guys' accounts, the bank records were printed out at customer service and sent. Uh, yeah, they were sent just from standard customer service people. So, and 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 typically, the government, uh, when I think it was Ken who called the bank, he said, "Well, they wouldn't come from this this fax because this is in customer service." So somebody on the inside just the government had somebody on the inside. They called them and said, "Well, send over those records." They just called our customer service and tell them to send over the records. It's illegal. Completely. Illegal. According to protocols, which I'm familiar, Kendrick, with the protocols, it is such an in-depth process. And then you're dealing with a church that is above reproach in the community for over 40 years. How does the church become a target? But Everything we- is done correct. Everything is done above board. But seeking out a way to target a religious institution is outrageous. There's not a member in Congress. If you're listening tonight, we need a phone call. There's not a member on that hill that should not be outraged. The Senate Finance Committee, we need a phone call. And when you look at this, when we brought this up in court, you see how the judge and the prosecution are going hand in hand because he wouldn't answer why there weren't any warrants. He could not produce the warrants, the subpoenas. He turned around and said, well, we don't want to do that because that will show how we do our investigations. And then every other time we tried to bring it up, the judge shut us down. Listen to this. We went to Washington, D.C., met with the Senate's Finance Committee, uh, at the behest of Senator Orrin Hatch, who was the chairman at the time, who was the chairman at the time has since retired. A gentleman by the name of Chris Armstrong, who was working for Senator Hatch, no longer is today. We met with him. He was over Senate Finance under Senator Hatch. And he said to us while we were there, we raised this issue. How do you go into an account without cause, without subpoena, without warrant? He said if they went into that church's account, we would be the first to know it. He said, let me look at this. Because if they did, we should have a record. Period. You're talking about the United States Senate. When he came back and answered us, after a few weeks, we met with him again in Washington, D.C. He said, there is nothing here. There is no record. There is no piece of paper. There is nothing lined up to say Colorado Springs Fellowship was being investigated. He said, well, maybe we're being investigated. There's no record. 
The only record is corruption. The only record is what they did. They broke the law. That came out of the Senate Finance Committee in Washington, D.C., in whom we met with as a just cause. So you want to say, well, how do you know? Promise you this. A just cause has done their homework. Fifty trips to the United States Capitol in a two-year span. Fifty trips. It's over 70 now. Over 70 now? That was, that was the final challenge, nearly 70 times. 70 times. And we talked to important people. We talked to members on that hill. Let us look into this. Let's see what we can do. What's going on? Today we re-emerge again. And we reach out to the United States Senate and Congress to investigate what has been done against the RP5, what has been done with a federal judge that should be removed from the bench. Judge Christina Gray opining in a state case with an acting judge in an existing case. I don't have to go to law school to know that's, that's, that's improper. That's a separation of government is what it is. This is not a federal case. You're semi-retired, Judge Aguil. What are you doing? Well, she, she's back at it. March 17th article uh, by News, Crime, and Public Safety um, from the Bold, Boulder Daily Camera specifically said that Judge Arguello had issued another illegal sentence and had to reverse herself again, and the gentleman ended up getting time served. This wasn't the first time. Get her off the bench. She was taking a case, and it was the Evans case. The the appellate court actually took the, they issued an order for her to change the sentence. She didn't do it, and then they had to take the case from her and overturn the sentence themselves and turn it over to another judge. So this is just repeat behavior, but no accountability. They just keep doing what they're doing, and and now she's if you look out uh, on the internet and, and some some articles, she's lauded for being. Uh, the first Hispanic uh, in her family and in Colorado to, to go to Harvard and all this other type of stuff, uh, as far as a female, to go to Harvard and all she's She has these, these, these laudatory articles about her, when, it, when in reality, uh, she's just a corrupt person. Let me appeal to Harvard Law School, Yale, all these schools. Please, do not allow Christina Guell in your in your college. She's a crook. Do you want the upcoming attorneys of this country, the upcoming prosecutors, to take on the behavior of such a judge? That's why Congress is able to unseat a judge because of corruption. They've done it before. The late Conyers, Congressman Conyers, Congressman Simpson-Brenner was on record for removing a judge, a federal judge, from the bench because of corruption. More than one. More than one. So it's there. I appeal to the members of Congress to step up to the plate. Investigate this judge. Investigate, and for the governor of Colorado, investigate Judge Aaron Sokol. For what she did, the abuse in what she carried out in a state case. We appeal to Governor Polis to make action, to take action against the attitude and what's happened to the Pillar 4. Sign a letter of pardon or clemency. 
for these men when Chief Bain made the statement. These men are pillars of our community. That's not what the AGS call, AGS call said. Judge Chief Judge Bain said, I've never seen men in my courtroom that look like these men. Clint, you had a comment? Yeah, I think uh, the citizens of our country need to take this stuff seriously. Because if we just be quiet, sit back, and that's how things have gotten the way that they are today, is nobody says anything. And uh, it's just like in the inner city uh, communities where you see somebody getting beat up. Nobody says anything. Nobody calls the cops. Nobody says anything about that person who's abused. But you got to speak up if you want this stuff to change. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to dial Lamont Bank, executive director of Just Calls, host of AJC Radio, 719-439-5951, 719-439-5951. We need to hear from you. And to the members of Congress, that number is for you, to your staff, and all those that can make a difference. We'll continue this next Thursday. We're just getting started, folks. This is AJC Radio. Until next time. Good night.